How do we make history? Kwentuhan tayo dito sa third episode ng podcast, Conversations on Philippine History, Politics, and Society. first series where we focus on different aspects of history as a discipline and as a body of knowledge. Ako si Vec. Ako si Lee. I'm Aaron. So yung tanong natin this episode, this kwentuhan, medyo kakaiba for me kasi tinitignan ko siya na how do we make history in a sense na paano ba maging makasaysayan? No? Pero essentially, pa-cool lang tayo kasi yung gusto talaga nating targeting na tanong dito is uh, How do historians write history? No? ba? Diba? Parang hindi... Pero in a way, mm. pwede naman din talagang maging makasaysayan ng mga historian kapag, syempre, nakagawa sila ng kanilang sarisariling magnum opus. Oh, sa bagay. Diba? Oo nga, no? Sige, sige. At sana yun yung mag- mangyari sa atin in the future. Ooh, okay, so... Uh, so, <laughs> sige. To start off, siguro tanong ko na lang sa inyo, uh, kapag nag-iisip kayo ng topic, no? so let's go way back, nung tayo ay mga estudyante pa. Well, estudyante pa rin naman tayo ngayon. Pero nung tayo, pag tayo ay nag-iisip ng topic, ng research, ng isusulat natin na paper, no? uh, ano yung mga consideration ninyo? Ako lagi talaga, interest ko, it should be close to my heart. Kasi pag hindi ako interested, I wouldn't spend a lot of time working on it. Hmm. Ikaw, Bec? Yes, tapos buko dun sa interest, syempre kung may sources ba at kung yung sources na yon ay accessible ba, di ba? So, mamamaya may sources nga, tapos nasa archives naman ng University of Michigan. Hmm. <laughs> so, hindi mo rin ma-access. So, kung meron bang available sources, isa mga primary um, consideration ko kapag magsusulat ng isang historical paper. Oo, yeah, tama. No? So, ako din actually, no, dapat talaga interesado ka. Kasi nga, di ba, yung discussions natin nung first episode pa, mahalaga yung mga tanong na na binibigay natin para um, mapag-aralan natin yung history. So, mahalaga din na syempre, interesado ka dun sa, sa topic para mas makabuo ka ng mas ma-incisive na tanong kasi sinasagot mo rin siya para sa sarili mo. Tapos later on, kung may sources, tapos syempre, tsaka mo na ikakraft kung paano yung approach mo. Pero yun din siguro, no? yung naibigay sa atin ng pag-aaralan ng history, yung attention natin to sources. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just remember, no, yung last episode natin, we also talked about the nature of history. And we established that history is, in a way, very complex since there's only one past with many narratives. History has aspects of both being an art and uh, a science. We also talked about what good history is. Na dapat hindi ito politically motivated at dapat hindi siya gagamiting propaganda. So, for this episode, mag-focus naman tayo sa discussion kung paano ba inuunawa, how do historians aim to understand history as the past by writing a narrative? Yeah, no? So, important ngayon na tanong yung basics ng historical research, basically. No? Tama. So, since last time, pinag-usapan na natin na mention natin yung pagiging evidence-based ng history as one of its most important prerequisite. So, ngayon, pag-usapan natin, ano ba yung mga makoconsider na evidence sa history or historical evidence? Tama. no So, dahil nga ini-emphasize natin palagi na katulad ng binanggit ni Lee last episode, na merong mga 
propaganda, mga myth na minsan hindi talaga siya grounded uh, on evidence, no? So yung para masabi natin na na it's a good history in a way, it's a sound historical interpretation, historical narrative. It should be evidence-based, no? So nagsisimula, I think, uh, yung kahit anong historical inquiry with a question about an event that happened in the past, no? So dahil wala naman tayong time machine to go back in time to revisit yung mga events na gusto nating maintindihan uh, sa nakaraan, we rely basically on... Uh, ano yung mga naiwan nung events na yon para sa atin. No? So at ito nga, yung mga naiiwan na to, yung nagiging quote-unquote access to the past natin, at ito yung mga sources. So yung sources can be very broadly defined, diba? So to organize, yung mga historians and social scientists use some categories to describe sources. So yung sources can be broadly defined, no? Pero to organize, yung mga historians and social scientists use some categories to describe sources. No? Yung mga categories na to, siguro pwede nating sabihin na based on the proximity sa event, kung gaano siya kalapit dun sa actual event na gusto nating pag-aralan, at syempre, based rin sa form. No? So pagdating dun sa, unahin ko siguro yung form ng sources, uh, pwede siyang sabihin natin na yung pinaka-traditional na, na ginagamit ng mga historians na sources, yung mga written uh, documents. No? Ito yung mga uh, halimbawa, mga documents na nakikita natin sa mga archives, sa mga libraries, yung mga newspapers or yung mga letters and diaries no so ito yung mga written sources no so nakasulat pero pwede rin yung sources ay hindi essentially nakasulat pwede rin siyang halimbawa visual no nagdevelop na rin yung history as a field of inquiry to also look at visual sources so pwedeng dito yung mga photographs videos uh, objects artifacts no kahit minsan clothing bahay ba to kung ano man yung yung hindi written form no tas syempre yung sources uh, pwedeng in an oral form no na pwedeng mga kanta or yung mga kwento na pwedeng natin makuha through interviews at iba pang uh, qualitative data gathering techniques gaya ng focus group discussions no yung mga ganon. Uh, pwede rin syempre yung mga sources na ito Uh, pwede yung mga forms na to tinitignan natin actually yung mga minsan yung sources pwede rin abstract eh, gaya ng emotion discourse, mentality memory, pero yung mga to ay inscribed na within these various uh, forms no ng, ng mga sources no so each form of historical source uh, nagwa-warrant siya ng particular analytical techniques na para makita natin yung paraan ng pagbabasa, quote-unquote, ng mga tono. So, maybe later on, mas may masishare tayong mga, mga information dyan. No? So, in terms of sources, in relation to their proximity to the event, uh, or yung provenance, if you may, uh, pwede natin, dito na madalas yung naririnig natin na primary or secondary sources. No? Pero actually, yung mga literature ngayon on history and historical methodology, meron na rin kinakategorize as a tertiary source. No? Pero siguro dito sa discussion natin, focus lang muna tayo dun sa uh, primary and secondary sources. No? So basically, yung isang primary source ay isang source na, nang, na nanggaling dun sa event itself. No? So, pwedeng yung document, halimbawa, na may kita natin sa archive, 
Ito ay isang document na na-produce uh, during the period or during the event na gusto nating pag-aralan. No? So, uh, or yung taong ini-interview, halimbawa, ay nakaranas nung mismong event na yun, no So, halimbawa, yung kwento ni Lee last episode tungkol dun sa sa airport incident to to Indonesia, di ba? So yung mga pwedeng primary sources doon, uh, pwedeng kasama doon yung passport ni Lee na walang tatak ng arrival sa Indonesia, tsaka yung pwedeng rin yung... May tatak ng departure. Uh, uh, departure, tsaka arrival. Siya, <laughs> makaka-arrive ka kung di ka nag-depart. Pero may, may, atar- ano? may tatak ng departure, Cancel, pero financial. Oh, oh. Ay, okay. Oh, so yun, so may, may nuance. May evidence. May nuance pa pala. So talagang hindi ka nakarating sa Indonesia. Okay. Sige, so talagang mm-hmm. ipagdiin na natin yan. Ididiin natin si <laughs> Okay, no, so yun. Tapos syempre, si Lee mismo ay primary source ng event na yun dahil siya yung nakaranas nung, nung event na yun. Diba? No? So, ganun yung isang primary source. No? Yung, yung nanggaling doon sa actual event na yun. Either, yun nga, pwedeng yung form nun ay written, oral, or visual. No? So, yung mga secondary sources naman, ito usually yung mga accounts about the event na nasulat na ng isang uh, hindi directly naka-experience nung event na yun. No? So, pwedeng, uh, pwede natin i-consider dito yung mga mga historical works no about events like books, articles, no yung mga ganyan. No? Halimbawa, uh, kapag ang gusto mong pag-aralan ay uh, martial law in the Philippines. no So, Uh, primary sources doon, definitely, halimbawa, yung mga newspapers na na-publish nung uh, martial law period, no? mula 1970s hanggang 1980s. Uh, secondary source noon halimbawa, kung may article si Vic Alporha tungkol sa martial law, yun ay secondary source. Diba? Kasi ginamit niya yung primary source to interpret an event in the past. No? So, pero... Kailangan, gusto ko lang din linawin dito na hindi hardline yung napagsinabi mong books, secondary sources agad. Kasi lagi siyang nakadepende dun sa tanong mo na gustong sagutin pagdating sa isang historical inquiry or historical research. Kasi halimbawa, kung ang topic mo ay tungkol sa kung paano nare-represent ang martial law sa mga libro, yung mga libro na yun mismo, yung primary sources mo. Kasi siya yung nagko-constitute nung representation nung martial law. ba diba? So, lagi-lagi siyang babalik yung usapin ng sources doon sa sa historical question mo. Ano yung gusto mong tanungin? Siya din yung magsasabi sa'yo kung ano yung mga sources na nagagamitin mo. no so Pero nonetheless, dahil meron tayong categorization ng primary at secondary source, it goes without saying... No, na sa isang na sa isang historical account about the past no so kapag na-transform yung history as the past to history as the narrative syempre mas mabigat yung binibigay na weight uh, pagdating sa paggamit ng primary sources kasi ito nga yung naiwan ng event mismo sa atin no kaya when we are confronted with for example new new interpretations about the past or competing interpretations about the past no laging mahalagang itanong natin no Mama, may nakita tayo sa Facebook na isang post about an event in the past or may YouTube video na napanood tayo no so yung nabanggit ni Lee nung nakaraang episode na hindi natin pwedeng tanggapin yun as tama agad no paano natin ipoprobe yung yung Uh, situation na, na yon na hindi natin siya tatanggapin. Pwede yung itanong natin doon, ano yung sources na ginamit niya? 
'Di ba? Saan based yung account na ito ng nakaraan, no? So to put it simply, ano yung evidence, no, to make such a claim about the past, to claim about to claim a truth about history. Kasi hindi nga natin mababalikan directly yung past, no? So ginagamit natin yung yung sources, no? So pag tinidiskus natin yung sources of history at yung basic premises at notions natin about sources. Lalabas din dito yung uh, dalawang bagay about the nature of history. Na nabanggit na rin natin to nung, nung nakaraang episode, no? Na one, uh, we can only know the past indirectly. Yun nga. Kasi hindi natin siya mababalikan. ba? Diba? Hindi tayo personally makakabalikan limbawa dun sa, sa pagbaril kay Rizal sa bagong bayan para ma-witness natin na nabaril siya hindi na natin yun uh, magagawa. Pero dahil may sources about it, nalalaman natin na nabaril si Rizal sa bagong bayan. No? Pero we know it indirectly. Hindi directly. Hindi natin direct experience yung nangyari na yun. No? Uh, at pangalawa, no? we can never know the past in its entirety. Nabanggit na rin natin ito nung, nung second episode, di ba? na history is never complete we can always make that assumption. Kasi, hindi naman, ito nga yung isang example dito. Uh, halimbawa, sumakay ka ng jeep, di ba? Yun yung event, sumakay ka ng jeep, di ba? May nangyaring event na karating ka from point A to point B, so yun yung event, di ba? Na-observe mo yung journey na yun, di ba? Pero hindi naman lahat ng nangyari nung journey na yun, naalala mo halimbawa. Hindi mo naman naalala lahat ng suot ng kasakay mo sa jeep halimbawa, di ba? So, yung mismong memory ng tao, limited na siya in storing information. Matatranslate natin siya into a bigger context ng history, di ba? Uh, dahil nga dun sa malaking bahagi ng past, no? Hindi na lahat ng hindi naman lahat ng events na nangyari sa nakaraan ay na-observe ng, ng isang tao ng sabay-sabay. Diba? At hindi lahat ng events sa nakaraan, hindi lahat ng na-observe, kung na-observe man yung event na yon, hindi lahat naaalala. At hindi lahat ng naaalalang event ay nai-record. So, hindi lahat ng event na naalala ay may naiiwan na source. no? So, kung meron mang na-record at na na, na alala naman ng mga tao yung event na yon, hindi rin naman lahat ng record na yon magsusurvive. Kasi halimbawa, nung uh, World War II, halimbawa, may, may extensive diary halimbawa yung lolo mo na every day, every hour na record niya halimbawa. Pero nung February 1945 ay uh, 1946 ba? Hindi ko na maalala. No? So, nung Liberation 45. of Manila, di ba, ay na nasunog yung kanyang diary na yon So, na-witness na niya yung event, naalala niya, na-record niya, pero di naman nag-survive yung record. Tapos hindi rin lahat ng nag-survive na record ay readily accessible sa atin. Kasi alamabawa, kung isa kang hindi naman mayaman na, na researcher sa third world sa Pilipinas, no, tapos yung sources mo ay nasa Espanya o nasa Amerika, may sources ka nga, na-record nga, nag-survive nga, pero hindi mo naman ma-access. ba? Diba? So, usapin din siya ng, ng access. At syempre, ma-access mo nga, hindi mo naman maintindihan yung wika. ba? Diba? So, 
we can never know the past in its entirety. Kasi may limitations yung mismong kapasidad ng tao to know things. No, yun yung isang bagay na na kailangan nating uh, maunawaan. At syempre, hindi ibig sabihin na may sources ka, makakasulat ka na agad ng isang historical account. No, hindi rin pwede na pag may nakita kang source at supposedly ay primary source siya, tatanggapin mo na siya at face value. Kailangan sinasubject mo rin yung sources na yun to a rigorous process of interrogation. Diba? At dito nga papasok yung, yung internal tsaka external criticism na basic tenets ng historical uh, methodology. Uh, yung sinasabi natin na characteristics ng nakaraan that it's indirectly experienced, it is experienced through sources, or um, at yung scarcity ng sources na to, it actually um, states the importance of criticism of sources and interpretation na pag-uusapan din natin ngayong episode. So, dito sa internal and external criticism ng historical sources, um, ito yung, I mean, yung criticism, it is the foremost skill that a historian should have. Okay? Yung ability niya to critique a particular source, lalong-lalo na pagdating sa primary source or primary sources. Um, at yun nga, tulad na minabanggit natin kanina, yung criticism ng primary sources, pwede natin siyang i-categorize into two. The internal criticism at yung external criticism. So, ano yung pinagkaiba? Um, so, ano yung difference between these two kinds of criticisms that, you know, that are employed by the historians? So, well, internal criticism is actually um, defined as the criticism of the content of a particular primary source. At yung external naman ay examination ng authenticity ng source. So, magkaiba yon. Una, internal, yung content yung nilalaman. Yung external, kung totoo ba yon, tunay ba at hindi peke. So, basically, um, exter- external criticism establishes kung ang isang dokumento ba, ang isang artifact, ang isang photograph, ang isang audio recording ay authentic. Tunay. Okay? So, sobrang halaga nito. I cannot overstate the importance of this kind of criticism um, bilang bahagi ng historical research for many reasons. Um, isa dyan ay, syempre, kapag nagkoconduct ka ng external criticism, you avoid wasting time. Kasi diba, mamaya merong isang dokumento, merong isang source na pinagbuhusan mo ng oras, ng panahon, ng lakas, ng talino, diba, ng pagmamahal, tapos peke naman pala. So, para kepa, diba, yung mga, yung talinong at oras at panahon na ibinuhus mo dyan. So, diba, imagine History pa ba yung spending... pinag-uusapan natin, Vic? <laughs> Oo. Imagine spending long hours trying to understand, make meanings, diba, interpret a particular thing, tapos biglang di naman pala totoo. Teka naman pala. Okay. Diba? So, Al- halimbawa, magbigay ka ng halimbawa tungkol na, na historical naman. Ito. So, legit na nangyayari itong mga ganitong klaseng kwento. So, yung paborito kong laging nire-relate na kwento ng mga fake na document ay yung tinatawag natin na Code of Kalanchao contained in the epic Maragtas. So, malamang naririnig na to, ano, ng mga ng mga listeners natin at ng mga estudyante. So, kwento ko lang, ano. So, a long, long time ago, so mga 1914, the National Library and Museum of the Philippines acquired a bundle of manuscripts of 
really old documents from an agrense historian na nagngalang Jose Marco. It was Jose Marco later uh, he would be referred to as the as history's greatest conman. Mm. You know? This donation actually made Jose Marco really really famous to the point that the librarian, the chief librarian um, James Robertson called his discovery the greatest literary discovery ever made in the Philippine archipelago. So ganon yung naging description dun sa naging this um, contribution ni Jose Marco. Okay? So at isa sa mga naka-contain uh, dito sa um, mga manuscript na donate niya sa National Library would be a two-volume leather-bound work entitled Las Antiguas Leyendas de la Isla de Negros. Na di umano, sabi ni Marco, at nakalagay doon sa mismong manuskrito, ay isinulat ng isang paring nagngangalang Jose Maria Pavon. Hmm. So, dito sa mga librong ito, supposedly, si Father Pavon ay merong translation nung tinatawag na Code of Kalanchao. Okay, so for the longest time, people went crazy over this Code of Kalanchao, um, calling it as a definitive source of pre-Hispanic Philippines. So it was it was insane. Alright, and then a few years after the death of Jose Marco, American historian William Henry Scott would write a, dis- a dissertation uh, for, for UST. At dito, William Henry Scott um, would prove that the documents okay donated by by Jose Marco were actually forgeries that were most probably made by Jose Marco himself so insane so sabi dun ng ibang mga historyador talagang nakakapagtaka na nakalusot ito for many decades or for a couple of decades sa NLP kasi tingnan mo pa lang yung dokumento talagang kitang-kita na peke talaga and then under further and closer scrutiny, dun makikita na the document wouldn't really hold much water kasi sobrang daming inconsistencies, sobrang daming anachronism. Like for example, the document actually or the Code of Kalantiao actually contained words and terms that were derived from Spanish language. E supposedly, halimbawa, yung Code of Kalantiao, 1433. Hmm. I mean, and the Spaniards wouldn't arrive in the Philippines until, you know, almost 100 years uh, later. So, so basically, William Henry Scott demolished Marco. At ang point dito ay itong ganitong klasing kalokohan, ano, this kind of hoax could have been avoided kung nag- nagsagawa lamang ng tamang external criticism yung mga Amerikano sa NLP. And you know what, in hindsight, iniisip ko, well, kasi yung Code of Kalanchao, pag binasa mo yun, it actually fit the American narrative. Na bago dumating ang mga kanluranin, ang mga Europeo at mga Amerikano, ay tayo ay mga barbaro. Kasi di ba ano, bang, ano ba yung mga nakalagay sa Code of Kalantiao? Paano pinaparusahan yung mga nagkakasala? E pinapakain sa langgam, di ba? Ginagapo hmm. sa langgaman, nilulunod. So mga ganong klaseng punishment daw ang ginagawa sa pre-Hispanic Philippines. At kahit na sinong historiador, na legit na historiador na nag-aral niyan, sinasabi na actually wala tayong ganyang klaseng punitive or punishment system. Uh, at yun ay nasulat. I think si Aaron, expert dyan sa mga, uh, you know, uh, punishments about crimes and other mm-hmm. um ano ba tawag diyan Aaron um, offenses ba so yes. uh, mm-hmm. ano ba yung sinasabi ng mga historians um about mm-hmm. punishment ng pre-Hispanic society well nung pre-Hispanic Philippines no kailangan may mabilis lang ba kaya sobrang absurd din talaga nung Code of Kalanchao kasi it talks about punishments halimbawa na uh, magre-result sa death, halimbawa, or sa 
sa immobilization ng isang tao na mahirap natin makita ma- na nangyayari sa pre-Hispanic Philippines kasi yung context ng mga barangay sa Maritime Southeast Asia, sabi nga ni Anthony Reed, malaki yung pagpapahalaga natin sa labor force kasi yung power ng datu ay narirekon sa dami ng followers niya. Hindi naman sa laki ng lupa yung power ng datu sa dami ng laborers. So bakit ka, oo, bakit ka gagawa ng isang paraan ng pagpaparusa na mababawasan yung labor force mo? na na madidiminish yung labor force mo. So, uh, kaya talagang yung yung parusa noon actually, ang kadalasan ay uh, servitude, no? Pag ikaw ay nagkasala, ay oo, yes. Kung ikaw ay nagkasala, no, magkakaroon ka ng utang, magkakaroon ka ng utang sa lipunan dahil violate mo yung yung norms nung nung barangay. So, yung utang mo ay sa barangay. So, yung ipapataw sa ng ng naparusa mag-serve ka sa barangay. So, magiging mm-hmm. alipin ka. So, bababa yung social status yes. mo. So, kapag na-record ng dato, yes, uh, pag nabayaran mo na utang na yun, then, mababalik yung status mo of pagiging timawa. Malayang tao. No? So, ganun yung reckoning ng ng crime. No? So, uh, yung code of kalansyaw, yung pagdidetermine niya ng truth, napaka, ano talaga niya, kakaiba na na ipapakain sa langgam, no, na parang kung sino yung mas mad- mas madaming nakain na ng langgam siya yung makasalanan, no, na parang hindi naman ganun mag-isip siguro yung mga exactly. tao no na mas uh-huh. mas may sistema Just naman siguro, 'di ba? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, sobrang um kabali- I mean, ang weird that people actually believe this. And I think, sabi ko nga kanina, uh, kaya naging madali sa kanila na paniwalaan 'yan ay it serves the, you know, the western agenda of um classifying or describing our people as uncivilized and as barbaric. So, in the conduct of external criticism, may mga specific na tanong lang naman na kailangang itanong that, you know, um, the people at the National Library and Museum should have asked uh, nung mga panahon na to. So, una, yung ibinagay na dokumento, when and where was the document written or created or that prime, kailan siya ginawa, kailan siya sinuot, kailan siya pinreduce? Pangalawa, sino? Who wrote it? and sino siya, bakit siya magsusulat ng ganyan. At pangatlo, how did it survive? So, bakit nandyan pa rin siya? Bakit hindi siya, I mean, kung na-discover lang siya, tulad ng kiniklaim ni Marco, na-discover lang, so it wasn't preserved by any professional. Then, how did it survive? So, itong mga ganitong klaseng pagpuprobe would surely lead us to further questions and to the truth regarding the authenticity of a particular primary source. So, sinong nagsulat? Kailan? Paano siya nakasurvive? Alright? So maraming mga ganyan, mga sobrang ludicrous na mga kwento na kung meron kang historical skill about external criticism pa lang, may kita mo na joke time talaga siya. Halimbawa nito, Vic, no, naalala ko lang, uh, I think a few years ago, kumalat sa Facebook yung post tungkol sa si Rizal daw ay may finrend zone nung nag-aaral siya sa UST. At ang babaeng ito ay nagangarang Analin. So parang nung makita ko talagang Uy, hindi ko alam to. Ano to? Warning signs agad, no? Analin. Si Rizal, nagkaroon oh. ng love interest. Ang pangalan <laughs> Analin. Diba? 1860, 1870s, so, may Analin. Ang kwento daw ni Tolly, diba? Parang may na-discover na diary ng lola niya na si uh-huh. Analin. Oo. Analin Bernabe. At ang nakakatawa dito, ah, nagkita kami sa Azotea. Tapos si Rizal, hindi niya ako pinapansin, nagbabasa siya ng libro ni Mark Twain. <laughs> Totoo ba? <laughs> Oh my God. Yes. I've never heard they were this. classmates in UST. And UST wasn't co-ed until 
ano, 1920s, I think. Yes, oo. So, <laughs> ang daming problema. Una, si Rizal nagbabasa ng Mark Twain, English. <laughs> Nung nag-aaral siya sa UST, talaga ba? Marunong na siya mag-English noong panahon na yon. O yun nga, may babae na ba sa USC noong panahon na yon? At ang pinaka-bothering At na rito, Yes, yung pangalan, Annaline. Hindi man lang, hindi man lang Annalina. <laughs> Pero malay nyo naman, may Annaline. Well, Shout out kay Annaline Munoz ng UP Baguio. <laughs> Imposible. Napaka-imposible. Imposible. Annaline na nag-aaral sa UST? Naya pa. Siya din yung pag-inoan, Jemmerly. <laughs> si Jemmerly. <laughs> Okay, tapos. So, I mean, so, ano, yun, so, nga eh, as a trained history major, talagang na ano ko na agad na may mali, may mali agad na parang sinabi raw ni Rizal na uh, you're an, you're an angel and uh, you're a lost daming, angel daming, yet. Oo, na ang very obvious naman na ang intent lang nitong post na ito ay magpa-viral kasi nga bentang-benta sa lahat ng tao 'yan eh. sa lahat ng Pilipino, kapag si Rizal yung topic at ang, at ang topic ay si Rizal ay may babae na naman or babaero si Rizal. For some reason, bentang-benta yan sa taong bayan. True. So, parang gusto nila yung binibigyan ng image na si Rizal ay macho, guapo, soft boy, mga ganyan. So, yun. So, basically, yun ang, yun ang external criticism. Ano? You need to establish whether a particular source is authentic or inauthentic. Last episode, binabanggit yung mga fake war medals ni Marcos. Halimbawa. So, yung isa naman, yung internal, internal criticism. So, basically, it is an analysis of the content of a primary source. So, Ito yung usually what follows after conducting and establishing the authenticity of a primary source. Kaya sabi ko kanina, mahalaga na ma-establish mo muna na tunay bago mo pagbuhusan ng talino. Okay. Yung isang uh, particular na, na historical evidence. So, internal criticism entails meticulous reading of the document in order to understand the meaning, the intent, the context, and even the agenda. behind the particular source. Kaya, mahalaga talaga for historians and students of history to have, you know, considerable knowledge of the topic being studied kapag mag-e-engage na sa primary source. Eh. ba? Diba? Dapat uh, meron kang context na nalalaman. So, halimbawa, no, binanggit nili last episode that Ferdinand Marcos authored, quote-unquote, uh, in reality commissioned a very ambitious historical work in the 70s. Okay? So, yun ay tinawag niya na, tad, tinatawag ngayon na Tadhana Project. So, the internal criticism of the work that came out of this project would reveal how, for example, how Marcos intended to use history um, to build a narrative of the nation that would serve and justify the characteristics of his regime. Um, emphasis on the word justify. Diba? Kasi sa ibang mga source, sabihin ni Marcos na wala siyang masyadong tiwala sa mga historian at sa mga journalist. Okay? So, kaya mahalaga sa kanya yung pagsusulat ng tadhana in order to justify whatever took place or whatever unfolded in the span of his re- regime. So, yung mga ganitong klasing analysis ay makukuha lang through internal criticism. So, yung mga tanong na kailangan nating, well, itanong <laughs> sa in the conduct of histor- of internal criticism um, would be um, why was the document written? So, bakit? Bakit siya isinulat? Ano yung intended purpose nung particular na dokumento or particular or particular na historical artifact or primary source? Pangalawa, ano yung literal meaning niya? Okay, so uh, meron ba siya at least na internal um, consistency at 
huli sa lahat, what were its connotations? So, syempre, ni tayo titigil lamang sa um, literal meaning. Ano yung kinokonote na ng mga bagay-bagay? So, itong huli, um, you know, deciphering internal connotations um, involves one of the most important tasks of the historian. That would That is historical interpretation. Alright? So, pag i-discuss ni Lian, so Lee, ano ba tong historical interpretation at paano ba to ginagawa? Ako, I would argue that interpretation is actually the bulk of the historian's work. To a point that we can say history is actually a dialogue among historians. And this dialogue is built on how the past is interpreted. So, ang isang historiador, ang ambag niya sa dialogue na yun ay yung interpretation niya ng nakaraan. Ano ba tong interpretation na ito? Hindi lang ito yung basic na when, where, who, what. Pero ang sinasagot kasi sa interpretation ay yung tanong na why and how. These are variables that a historian cannot just lift from the source. Kaya naman, when historians write history, they do not offer theories. They offer interpretations. At sa huli, a historian's interpretation is only as good as the evidence the historian utilizes. In the field of history, we recognize na uh, the fact na there is only one past, but there are many histories. Napag-usapan natin yung last episode. The histories we refer to here are the historian's interpretations. I think at this point, we all see the problem with interpretation, no? It is affected by a host of issues. In the interest of time, let's talk about three basic problems in historical interpretation. One is oversimplification, another is inadequate evidence, and lastly, tentativeness. Siyempre sa ibang episodes, maraya pa tayong pag-uusapan, uh, mag-focus tayo sa cases. Pero for now, siguro just a general overview. For example, what is oversimplification? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. This happens when in our effort to establish causation, for example, we assume things in the surface level without really investigating further. Or worse, we want to put across a version of history that's easy to understand. So we oversimplify things. Problema ito actually ng history education sa Pilipinas eh. Ah, si Rizal, babaero yon Sabi nga ating kanina, ang dami niya naging girlfriend. Eh, talaga ba? Eh, kung susuriin, hindi naman niya naging girlfriend lahat yon He just happened to write about them. I would say, yung iba nga doon, crushes lang, hindi naman na na-consummate. Ang dami kong kailalang mas malandi pa kay Rizal. Sa kasalukuyan. Sa totoo lang. <laughs> Or, hindi naman pinag-uusapan, no? Yeah, hindi naman hindi pinag-uusapan. Nagkataon lang na, na may access tayo sa pagkatami-daming sulot ni Rizal about his crushes and his romances, no? Another example, who killed Magellan? Uh, a student would immediately answer, Lapu-Lapu. Pero the facts don't say that. Magellan was killed by Lapu-Lapu's forces. But the paintings, for example, depicting the Battle of Mactan, shows Lapu-Lapu killing Magellan. Whatever happened to historical accuracy, di ba? These are all problems derived from oversimplification. Another problem, aside from oversimplification, is interpretations based on inadequate or cherry-picked evidence. Magkaibang issue yun, ano? yung inadequacy at yung cherry-picking. When evidence is inadequate, there is just not much to support an interpretation. When evidence is cherry-picked, on the other hand, there are sources that a historian prefers over other sources. Maybe because mas pasok sa agenda niya yung pinili niyang sources. Malaking problema yan kapag ganyan. Una, when we interpret with cherry-picked evidence, 
we lose credibility and trustworthiness. May mga historians kasi nakitang-kita mo yung bias at agenda nila at reflected yun sa pagpili nila ng sources. Ikalawa, when we interpret with inadequate sources, I think it's just basically shoddy historiography. Baka hindi na-explore lahat ng sources available or baka wala talagang source or hindi pa natutuklasan yung source na yun. Posible rin kasi yun. Which leads me to the problem of tentativity in history. Yes, parang three episodes nang nababanggit yung tentativity nito. This must really be a thing. Tabanggitan namin to before. It is possible that evidence challenging earlier accounts, it's possible that they could be discovered later on. Every new research uncovers new sources that could be used to legitimately revise history. Thus, I would argue interpretations in history makes history a very dynamic field. Kaya frustrating para sa akin eh, when students think na, you know, history, it's a memorization thing. I dare say, what history requires is argumentation and arriving at useful conclusions that are complex, adequately sourced, and tentative kung kinakailangan. Very important yung discussion natin on sources ngayon. Tapos, dun sa pag-scrutinize natin ng sources. At syempre, yung mismong role ng historian dun sa proseso na yun. No? Na tama si Lina, minsan mas mahirap pa yung pag interpret ng source at ng historical event kesa dun sa mismong paghahanap ng sources. ba? Diba? Uh, minsan mas fulfilling pa yung makahanap ka ng sources. Pero pag binabasa mo na siya at confronted ka na ng, ng difficult na, na sitwasyon ng pag interpret Kasi ikaw mismo, meron ka rin sarili mong biases, meron ka rin sarili mong political positions. Yun yung minsan talagang struggle ng isang historian. At kadalasan nga, tama si Lee na uh, conversation siya among historians. Yung interpretations na yan ay uh, yung pagkakaroon ng isang historically accepted interpretation or historically accepted truth, quote-unquote, no, ay dumadaan sa proseso ng pagvivet ng madaming mga uh, utak at madaming mga perspektiba. No? So, siguro yung episode natin ngayon, we highlighted no, na pagdating sa pagbubuo ng history, kasi yung tanungan natin, how do we make history, no? Kailangan tanggapin natin that there are things about history as a form of knowledge and knowing about the past na hindi natin mababago. No? So yung una doon, halimbawa, we can only know the past indirectly through the sources. We can never know the past in its entirety kasi sources are never complete. Uh, and primary sources are also made by humans and not every primary source is actually a primary source as the uh, Jose Marco experience uh, pointed out in our history na pwede rin siyang fabricated kasi uh, yung paggawa yung mga sources na to be it forged or hindi man gawa siya ng isang tao at yung isang tao ay may biases intentions etc kaya kailangan siya isubject sa rigorous criticism internally and externally at yung interpretation ng mga nangyari sa nakaraan brings us to the point that there is indeed only one past but many narratives. So that concludes our third kwentuhan dito sa podcast. Yeah, and thanks for joining us on this episode. Like us on Facebook for updates on the show at abangan nyo rin ang iba pa namin mga tatalakayang topics. Sa ating next episode, sasagutin natin, Who can be a historian? 
Tuloy natin ang kwentuhan sa Facebook at sa iba pa naming mga social media accounts. You can see the link in the description. Thank you for listening and have a good day.